Welcome to the Comic-Con Podcast, where we take an in-depth look at pop culture's finest and analyze what they're trying to say. I'm your host, Chip, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Allison. And in today's episode, rather than taking a look at a particular film or aspect of communication, we're actually going to go even broader and discuss the topic of cultural industries. So given that the main focus of this podcast is comics, and more specifically Marvel, we'll actually be exploring Disney as a cultural industry. Uh, I will be arguing that Marvel's cross-cultural appeal is evidence of being a successful media industry. So to do this, we'll break down uh, what it means to be a cultural industry, the impacts that they have on culture and pop culture specifically, and then look at the ways we have seen Disney and Marvel specifically succeed from a cultural perspective. So the study of cultural industries is actually not a new topic. In fact, the bulk of the original scholarship actually dates back to World War II with Max Adorno and Theodore Horkheimer and then and their book, The Culture Industry. So in this book, they address the evolution of what we consider culture, uh, what it should mean, and how media and other factors have distorted what culture should be. Their main critique is that culture has become corrupted and no longer exists as it should. Uh, in their book, they explain that the whole world is passed through the filter of the culture industry. So the familiar experience of the moviegoer who perceives the street outside as a continuation of the film he has just left, because the film strict seeks strictly to reproduce the world of everyday perception, has become the guidelines of production. The more densely and completely its techniques duplicate empirical objects, the more easily it creates the illusion that the world outside is a seamless extension of the one which has been revealed in cinema. Since the abrupt introduction of the sound film, mechanical duplication has become entirely subservient to this objective. According to this tendency, life is made indistinguishable from the sound film. Since this section is a little bit dense, I will kind of break down what Adorno and Horkheimer are getting at here. Uh, essentially, they claim that the purpose of media and entertainment is to be made indistinguishable from real life. Audiences should view media as an extension of reality and at the same time see reality as an extension of media. They claim that the introduction of sound film has only helped in this manner. However, I would disagree with them on this point. So with the new advancements that we've made in technological and production capabilities, media can now exist outside of reality and fall into a more theoretical existence within the greater culture. So when we look at a film like Black Panther, we don't expect everything portrayed as a recreation of what is actually happening. Instead, we understand that through the use of themes and metaphors, that it's a stylized representation of what we see happening with bits of truth mixed in. So the struggles that Eric Killmonger face are real, even though his fight for the throne is metaphorical when given real-world context. One scholar who actually presents a differing view of culture is Raymond Williams. So unlike Adorno and Horkheimer, Raymond Williams didn't see cinema and culture as a means of control, but rather as an art form to be appreciated as an extension of the rich tapestry of the cultural identity. So Williams actually viewed culture in three distinct parts, being ideal, documentary, and social. So each definition of culture actually brings its own perceptions and opinions on work and values. So the ideal definition of culture actually sought perfection, uh, he's quoted saying, the analysis of culture, if such a definition is accepted, is essentially the discovery 
and description in lives and works of those values which can be seen to compose a timeless order or to have permanent reference to the universal human condition. Uh, documentary actually gives us a more grounded idea of what culture is. So rather than striving for that perfection that is in the ideal, documentary culture seeks to criticize and promote discussion about what is valued. So the final aspect is social, and that becomes even more grounded than the previous two. And it strives to express certain meanings and values, not only in art and learning, but also in institutions and ordinary behavior. So the analysis of culture from this definition is a clarification of the meanings and values implicit and explicit in a particular way of life in a particular culture. So the social definition of culture actually understands that each culture is formed in a unique way and is distinct from other cultures. And then scholar David Hedgeman Halge has actually yet another view as to what cultural industries are. So in his book, The Cultural Industries, he explains that his view of cultural industries rests on three elements, which is their ability to make and circulate products that influence our knowledge, understanding, and experience, their role as systems for the management of creativity and knowledge, and their effects as agents of economic, social, and cultural change. So I understand this background was a lot, but in order to understand the impacts of Disney as a media industry, we must understand why it is so impactful by looking at the context it operates within. So in looking at cultural industries in the way that Hesman Hodge does, uh, there are a few there are a few more impactful than the Walt Disney Company. So he even says, surely Disney is the world's best known cultural industry business. Uh, it's not only actually controls the film studio, but it, it also operates U.S. Broadcasting Network ABC, multiple cable companies, musical theater franchises, a very significant children's pub book publishing company, and then, of course, a set of famous theme parks. And since 2009, it's owned Marvel Comics and the valuable intellectual property associated with them. And then in 2017, Disney also bought 21st Century Fox, and this will probably make Disney the biggest cultural industry corporation in the world, according to Hesman Hodge. So to see these impacts of Disney and Marvel on pop culture today, I'm actually going to turn it over to Allison, who's going to talk about the importance and relevance of Marvel cinema. In this section, while we could look at films such as Dark Phoenix, like we addressed in the last episode, for the purpose of what we are talking about today, we will only be looking at films within the MCU, as most are a direct result of Disney acting as a parent company to Marvel. That being said, there is still no shortage of examples that are culturally relevant, with films such as Black Panther, Avengers Endgame, and the upcoming release of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Disney has had no problem keeping Marvel properties in the cultural spotlight. In his article, The Contradictory Relationship Between Film and Comic Art, Matthew McAllister discusses the rise of superhero films, their resurgence in the 2000s, and how they differ from the culture created by the source material. In the opening statements, he says, Such is the seemingly yin-yang nature of the relationship between comic art to motion pictures. Comic book-related films have done much to both establish the action-oriented mega-blockbuster and the thematically and revisually innovative art film, even if particular examples do not easily fall along a neat alternative mainstream continuum. He goes on to discuss how recent films, those in the post-2000 era, have increased demand for comic book movies. 
This success has been generalized by the film industry to include the suitability of comic book films for modern blockbusters. One box office analyst noted about Fantastic Four's performance that comic book movies, if properly marketed, are exactly what mainstream audiences want to see in their summer movies. In fact, post-1990s comic book films have raised the stakes on the commercial blockbuster. With the need for big stars and an emphasis on increased special effects in films, budgets continue to reach sky-high level. Within his article, we see that the rise of comic book movie relevance in mainstream has con continued a call for more as we continue to improve upon the quality, story, of the story, direction, and production of these films. So tying this back to films such as Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, we see that the cultural industry has both created and capitalized on a demand that had thought to have died out. Rather than creating a culture, they chose to cultivate one. They brought back comic book movies from the ashes with fresh takes creating a culture of improvement and growth. This impact, this is the impact comic book films have on culture and the importance of cultural industries. Even looking outside of Marvel, Disney has done so much in the past few years to diversify their cultural significance. Films like Coco, Mulan, Moana, Raya and the Last Dragon, and Soul have shown a growth in Disney production towards acceptance and recognition of culturally diverse groups and media production. While some of these films have also had their share of criticisms and shortcomings, this trend of representation is one that audiences and people of these groups have been requesting for years, even decades. As we have addressed in the previous sections, much of the power of a cultural industry lies in its ability to directly influence the culture. This is especially true of a media giant such as Disney. In her article, Getting Down to Business, Mulan and Disney's Evolving Progressivism, Michelle Wall compares pre-2010 Disney to now and how they are showing a progressive trend in representation through their most recent films, specifically Mulan with mentions of Beauty and the Beast and Moana. Wall applauds the upward trend by saying that nonetheless it's noteworthy that these films are being made and by increasingly diverse creative teams. The continued success of Disney's slate only proves that these kinds of stories are speaking to a new, younger generation for whom progressive ideals are simply a part of growing up in this modern age. While Disney has received its fair share of criticisms in creating these projects, pro progress is still a positive and with the creation comes the possibility of more and increasingly diverse projects in the future. So moving back into the realm of Marvel and its contributions, we can see that in an article written by Tyson Wills that Disney and Marvel's outreach extends far beyond media. He writes that Marvel's stories are big business. These modern myths are so ubiquitous across cinema, television, comic books, video games, and toys that every student would be familiar with at least part of the Marvel Universe. Beyond entertaining us with tales of superheroes, however, the construction of this universe can teach us much about what media co convergence and transmedia storytelling look like in 2017. The extension into facets outside of media showed just how impactful media and cultural industries really can be. By not being limited in their outreach, they are also creating a culture in which we are all welcome as well. With so many different subcultures, there's just a place to fit in. So despite being a subsidiary of Disney, Marvel Studios still has some autonomy when it comes to producing their films. Kevin Feige still exists as the president of Marvel, calling many of the shots. However, since they still exist under the umbrella of Disney, it's important to note that Marvel's success is also Disney's success. 
With all that being said, if we look at an article published by Radosinska and colleagues titled To Thrive Means to Entertain, we can see that both as an independent and as a subsidiary, Marvel still has an incredible impact on the pop cultural industry and community. They state that um, one of the most unique traits of media industries is their ability to explore human creativity and artistic expression. This fact seems to be a bit contradictory as media production is, generally speaking, neither original nor artistic. However, we cannot deny that the products of media industries are eye-catching, emotionally engaging, and thus capable of deepening our timeless tendency to develop and constantly reproduce narratives. Radosinska goes on to claim that media industries differ themselves from in other industrial businesses because of its ability to influence culture. This is something that we have seen time again from Marvel and other film studios. By addressing contentious and poignant topics, we enrich the culture by providing an outlet for understanding uh, a platform for change. As previous parts of the study suggest, it is absolutely no longer enough to include that media industries are, above all, specific production sectors that can involve vastly profitable business activities. However, the business of media production is, indeed, significantly different from any other industrial segment. The influence media conglomerates hold over the social, political, and economic organization of the globalized world is enormous, and this fact makes po us pose for a lot of new, so far unanswered questions. I will now turn it back over to Chip, and he's going to explain how we can measure the success of these cultural industries. Thanks, Allison. That was really great. And so one aspect that we've actually touched on but haven't further explained yet is how can we tell if a cultural industry is actually being successful? So while there are several benchmarks that any industry or business will want to meet, to be a cultural industry means to succeed more than just achieving that bottom line. So I actually believe that engagement and dissemination of the media plays a key role in determining the success or failure of a cultural industry and its projects. So in official terms, this would be referred to as transportation theory. And this theory states that the more easily an audience is able to connect with a show or text, the more they will remember about it and the more positive their reaction to, toward it will be. So Melanie Green actually expands on this in her article, Understanding Media Enjoyment. And she explains that in addition to positive experience of being taken away from the everyday world, transportation may lead to certain benefits that are interpreted by individuals as enjoyment. So because of this, enjoyment may emerge in different ways or for different reasons depending on the individual. So the ability to affect such a large base can show the true potential and success of a cultural industry. So after all, if the goal is to create and maintain a culture, what better measurement of success is there than the activity and number of people involved in that culture? So being successful once does not allow you to actually maintain the title of successful. In order to actually keep that title, you have to keep proving that you deserve it. So with this in mind, we'll also take a look at whether or not Disney and Marvel will be able to keep up their success and continue to be an influential cultural industry. With the steady rise of streaming services, much of a company's continued influence will likely be tied to them. In an effort to stay ahead of the curve, Disney has allowed Netflix and now their own service, Disney Plus, to show exclusive Marvel shows in an effort to expand both their influence and the universe created by the films and other media. Radisinska expands on this in another of her articles, writing about the Disney-Netflix relationship. So she states that cinema and television may have decreased the prominent pop culture influence and commercial potential of comic books, 
but narratives, stories, and other source materials originating from the comic books significantly shaped the face and core of the contemporary mainstream movie production, as well as the segment of television industry aimed at episodic drama. Numerous stories provided by comic books have become highly popular thematic and narrative templates, so they now function as frameworks, source materials, uh, things that are suitable for audiovisual adaptation. And while Radisinska does not see film as a proper way of adapting comic book story arcs, she does support the episodic nature of television shows and Netflix exclusives. More recently, Marvel has even toyed with a mediation between the two with their foray into limited series such as WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier. While both of these have received mixed reviews about their unique style, they have seemed successful enough to ensure continued use of the model for upcoming shows such as Loki. Aside from the creation of limited series shows, the only other way to continue a film saga like the MCU is through sequels and reboots. But do these practices actually ensure success? While Infinity War and Endgame were the most profitable movies in the MCU, were their statuses ever in jeopardy due to the possibility of sequel flops that have doomed so many before it? To answer this question, I turn to Dom Hee Kim and her article on brand extension strategies. So she argues that although making sequels is an increasingly popular film strategy to mitigate the high risks of the film industry, there is a rather scant research on strategies to enhance sequels performance at the box office. So in other words, it remains a question of certain types of sequels are highly likely to be successful at the box office. Also, despite emerging evidence that adaptations tend to have higher box office gross than non-adaptations, it is uncertain whether adaptations would still be popular if produced in sequels. So based on her research, it may very well be the best course of action for Disney to pursue the li their limited series projects as a transition from one chapter of the MCU to the next. So as actors phase in and out, how else are the audience members expected to transition from one chapter to the next? This also causes us to question how successful the change will be as we can similarly ask how the audience is expected to constantly switch between forms of media. Unfortunately, right now, I don't have the answers, uh, and only time will tell the course of action that is going to occur. Much of what their decision is going to rely on is our ability and willingness to adapt, uh, which, shows, which shows that one strength of the cultural industries is their ability to adapt to the ever-changing desires of the public, which makes this a consumer collaborative culture and community. So what I hope you've taken away from this episode today is an understanding of the impactful nature of cultural industries, as well as a better understanding of what they are. When we look back at the Disney and Marvel examples we provided, it can be seen that media has a much more dynamic role in how we perceive and interact with culture. Without these productions and companies contributing to culture, we would have such a diminished experience and lack of representation within the culture. And this is this success in helping maintain such a diverse and progressing culture that supports the idea that both Marvel and Disney are successful cultural industries. But remember, this is all to be taken with a grain of salt. The ability to contribute to a culture does not reserve the right to control it, as that violates what makes a culture unique. No one entity can monopolize culture, as it is our reactions to the different aspects that creates meaning and purpose. 
without the interconnection between cultural industries and the people, there is no culture being created or cultivated. So with that, I hope you all have enjoyed this third installment of the Comic-Con podcast. If you would like to see more content like this, be sure to like the episode and spread the word. Until next time, thanks for tuning in and stay super.